Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network, and thanks for joining us today. My name is Michelle Beck. I'm a two-time, nine-year survivor of breast cancer. I'm the patient programs assistant at Breast Friends of Oregon. And when I have time, I write at a blog called I Never Liked Pink. Before we get started with my fabulous guest today, I wanted to remind listeners out there that I am putting together Warrior Stories episodes. Email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org with your stories of inspiration, what helped you through your cancer journey, or how your life has changed for the better since cancer. Submissions should be a few minutes long and in your own words. And I also want to give a shout out to some listeners out there, Timothy and Rhonda Bodecker from Florida, Sherry Austin from Illinois, and Angela Merck in North Carolina. Thank you so much for listening. And I always love the feedback and so glad you're here. So today I am joined by Kelly Grossclags. She's an end of life therapist. And we're going to discuss a really important topic. How do we as loved ones and friends talk to those who are at the end of life. So many times precious moments are wasted because people don't know what to say and many choose silence because they just they don't understand what is needed and that can lead to regrets and heartbreaks when you lose your loved one. So Kelly is going to talk about today how to have those conversations with compassion and how to change the way we handle these hard times and and give those loved ones the grace and support when it's needed most. So welcome, Kelly. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Michelle. Can you hear me okay? Yep, you're sounding great. Wonderful. So grateful to be on this podcast. I was um, interviewed, I think it was a year ago, for this podcast as well. And I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm so grateful um, to be here. And thank you for highlighting this very, very, very important topic which I know that can be a difficult one to talk about. And yet my premise is that when we talk about either end-of-life discussions or difficult conversations, that it actually enhances our life and, and creates an opportunity for us to connect more with family, connect more with our medical team. You know, talking about death doesn't make it happen. Talking about end of life doesn't make it happen any quicker. It just makes it happen in a more comfortable and authentic way. Well, communication is number one across all boards, no matter what kind of relationship it is, whether it is someone who is experiencing end of life or going through treatment or even just in your, you know, your day-to-day relationships. If you don't talk about things, then they're never going to get dealt with. Correct. And so this is so important. And I had the pleasure of virtually meeting you last fall when you presented at our wellness conference. But before that, I had never heard of an end of life therapist. And wow, looking back on my life now, I I had to say goodbye to both of my grandmothers in, in the past 10 years. And I, I knew it was coming, but I really wish I, I had you then to kind of give me some additional guidance. And, you know, I don't really have many regrets, but there's some things I, I could have handled better. And so I, I really want to share that with our listeners. So kind of give us a little synopsis of what, what do you do as an end-of-life therapist? 
So in my, my, my background is, is hospice, palliative care and oncology in the hospitals mm-hmm. as a clinical social worker. Um, so working with people through all stages of their cancer. And then I had a private practice in oncology and, and I'm a grief therapist. My love really became working with people who were terminally ill and had advanced disease. And so one of the things that I really want to work with people on is making sure that they live their best life until they die and that we die how we live. And so I want to make sure what matters most to people in their life is what we get to also embrace in their dying. And if people are really quiet and they like serene and they like nature but their families are maybe really chaotic and, Mm -hmm. you know, and dysfunctional and whatever, I will work with them and the families to try and create that atmosphere. Um, You know, a lot of people think that all of my sessions would happen at the bedside, and that's not true. Many of them happen at the bedside when I work with people, but I have people who are terminally ill that are traveling to different places right now with COVID in the United States primarily, but I've had many people who went to Europe. And um, one of the things I do is we talk about ways to kind of maintain your energy, um, expectations. We don't want people to have too many expectations for themselves. This has to be the best trip ever because it's going to be my last. Mm -hmm. Helping people keep expectations. But I think one of the greatest privileges for me, Michelle, and... Um, one of truly the thing that honors me the most in this work is having difficult conversations with people that they can't have necessarily with their patient, with their families. So mm-hmm. it's talking about the fear of dying. It's talking about what they want after they die, what they want for their children, um, the sadness they feel over not being able to go the bus stop for the first time in kindergarten because they're going to die Mm -hmm. those kinds of things and so really holding space for people I find that if that it's medicine in and of itself when people can open up and have space to talk about their fears I mean that that really is one of the most important things they may be lucky to have family that will hear it but oftentimes my patients will hear things like, don't talk like that. We're not there yet. No, be positive. You got to be positive. Don't say that. And oftentimes our families say those things to us because it's hard for them to hear. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, but we, people need space. They need space to talk about hard things. I also will say as an end of life therapist, it's really important that um, people's mental health is addressed. Mm-hmm. And I just um, I just did a something um, an interview for AONN um, for the oncology nurse navigators about terminally ill patients and their mental health. And in the beginning of my career, we didn't we thought, well, if people only have two months left, it's not really worth getting their mental health addressed. And actually, it is. It's a very oh, important 100%. thing to mm-hmm. Yes, whether it's medication, therapy, whatever. So that's another big part is to make sure that people's mental health is being addressed as much as their physical pain and discomfort. Because for them, figuring out how they want, how they want to go really and how they want to pass, it's important that they're not anxious. And I mean, yes, we're, we're going to be anxious, but right. to, to make sure they have the space and the resources they need to go out how they want to. Exactly. 
Exactly. And this your career sounds like it's very specialized. How how do you get into a field like this? Because number one, it has to take a big heart. Uh, mm. But what what brought you into this? So it was it was kind of like five back doors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I tried to walk through the front door and I kept going to the back door. So um, the my mother died when I was eleven. And, um, she died, she was 33 and she did Mm. not die of cancer. She died of a sudden cardiac arrest and we were grocery shopping. Um, and so I was with her and saw the CPR happening and and all of that. She, Mm -hmm. she was resuscitated and put, um, in an ICU for three months. Um, that was back in the day when hospice was just kind of entering the scenes. They didn't really, I mean, all they were really focused on was keeping her alive, even mm-hmm. though she couldn't speak anymore. She couldn't, you know, but she was 33 and beautiful and had a young child. And so I, I say that I started in this field when I was 11. Of now course. I will tell you that when I started college, I wanted to go into advertising and marketing. I really, I subconsciously was doing everything to avoid the trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, a psychology professor pulled me aside and thought I was on the wrong track when I was going, you know, and, and so then and again, when I say backdoor, it was kind of like, this isn't how I envisioned my life to be in terms of professionally, mm-hmm. but it is exactly how it, it turned out it's how exactly, it was supposed yeah. to be. I mean, we land where we're supposed to really. And so it, it's a trauma that got me here, which is oftentimes what does. The interesting thing is I'm so passionate about the work I do based on the things we didn't get when my mother was dying. Mm-hmm. So um, when I work with kiddos whose parents or grandparents or aunties are dying, Mm-hmm. It's, it comes from, yes, I have a lot of clinical experience. Yes, I have a lot of training, but it really comes from a personal place of what would have been comforting for me as a little one, because it really was a botched job that the nurses did. They did the best oh. they could do. Right. But at the but time, no, no one was trained in this. They no one was no trained. Idea what to do. And yes, they were trying to take care of your mother. And yes, you were there as a side note. And exactly. So looking exactly. back on it now, you you have all of the experience and the clinical knowledge to to do this. And and I've we'll talk about your documentary in a little bit. Dying is not giving up. But just watching that, you can tell that this is something that really occupies your whole heart. And mm-hmm. and it, it's so appreciated because we really need more people like you. Oh. And but looking at it, I you you. In the oncology world, it's always difficult and in dealing with any, any patients who are at end of life, but dealing with the loss of your patients on a consistent basis, because that's, that's the nature of what you're doing. How, how do you process that? You know, um, as humans, we're made to be connected. And so I allow my heart to connect with people, even as a therapist, Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, obviously it's more in a professional way than I would if this was a friend. But in order for me to do really authentic, good work, I have to be able to be connected to them. Mm-hmm. And so, and we certainly get connected to certain people um, more than others because it, there's there's a lot that goes into dynamics, right? Either people yes. are closed off or I don't see them as long. You know, I allow myself to be human. I guess that's the thing that's the most important 
for all of us to hear is that when we start dictating our emotions, like we think we're supposed to be this way and that way and the other, we're not really living mm-hmm. in an authentic space. And so I am in a consultation group. I meet with other clinicians to talk about things. I talk a lot with the other um, oncology professionals that work with the patient. I do try to attend a service if they die um, mm-hmm. as as a ritual um, to to do something. I, I will light a candle for people. Mm-hmm. You know, it for me, um, in almost 30 years of this, I don't want to say it gets easier, but it's not necessarily, if the death went well, it's not necessarily harder for me. It's when the up and down of the pain and all of that and, and family not wanting hospice because they are not ready to be done yet and all these mm-hmm. things, that's when I really struggle. If the death happened and it happened in the way the patient deserves and wanted, mm-hmm. I actually, I have a big sense of peace about it. I was, it, I was just going to say it must bring yeah, peace to know it that does. you were able to go in and to help the patient and the loved ones yes. get get to a good place. The, everything that was said needed to be said, yes. and the patient was really able to direct. So I, I imagine that is really the greatest blessing that you can receive in your work. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. So it's not, yes, it's hard when the actual death happens because it's, it's hard because then I work with the, the ones that have survived. Sure. But the death isn't the hard part. It's the way the death happened. That mm-hmm. for me is what I really, um, what I'll wrestle with, what I'll lose sleep over is that, you know, and I can't make people go to a place that they're not ready. So mm-hmm. if they, if they don't want hospice care involved, if they don't want, um, sometimes I recommend a death doula. Sometimes I'll, I'll recommend different things to first support. Mm-hmm. And people, I do feel they get to have a choice in this. Um, And what I always say to patients and families when we know the death is going to occur, and I talk about this in the documentary, that, you know, we do know you are going to die from this. I mean, we do know. And we know that you're you're going to die relatively shortly. It's how you're going to die that I want to talk to you about this because, you die, you know, we know you're going to die. And even if they're not having their heads wrapped around it, but it's like, we can still really have an impact on how you die mm-hmm. and, and also how you live until you die. So that's the greatest part. That's, that's why these conversations are so important, Michelle. It's not only about the death, but it's about how do you live until you die? Yeah, And, and a lot of living left for some of these, for, for hospice patients. I mean, I've had hospice patients for months that are living and they actually feel better once they enter hospice. They, they feel better, you know, they're not maybe on treatment, they're not. And so I really want people to maybe, when you're hearing this today, think about this, that this is about, when we have these conversations, it's about how do I live better? There's so much focus on the death word, but it's really about how do I live better until I die? And we really don't know how much time that is going to be. So exactly. you have to live the best you can every day. And you mentioned some of the, the family members and, and sometimes even patients are, they're reluctant to do, whether it's palliative care or hospice and, and a death doula because they don't know enough about it. And mm-hmm. I think it's so important to get this information out there because really anyone who's in this situation can benefit from that kind of yes. assistance. Yes. And many of my um, metastatic patients 
metastatic breast cancer patients are in a lot of Facebook groups, beautiful clothes groups. There's, it's just a beautiful community. And they see death happen with their sisters and brothers every day. And they mm-hmm. see some happening better than others. And I will say that many of them realize now that if, if these conversations didn't happen, and sometimes it's a reluctancy on the medical team, unfortunately, Mm-hmm. Um, to have these conversations. And that's kind of my mission right now is to change that. But when those conversations don't happen, they see how there's agonizing, suffering, and unfortunate things that can happen. Sure. And that makes sense. And um, we're going to talk in the next segment about your documentary, Dying is Not Giving Up. And um, But please stay here and we'll be, uh, listeners, I'm having a brain fade uh, because I'm human. Uh, Stay with us and we'll be back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck, and my guest today is Kelly Grossklag's end-of-life therapist, and we've been talking about how to have compassion during those difficult end-of-life conversations. So before the break, I had mentioned this amazing documentary, which Kelly is involved in, called Dying is Not Giving Up, which you helped produce. You were instrumental with the patient. Um, her name was Judy. How, how did you meet Judy? How did this, how did this come about? Mm, one of those times in life I look back and think, oh, so grateful. Um, Judy, and I'm not breaking confidence because we talk about it in the documentary, um, is, mm-hmm. was, a, was a patient of mine for almost seven years. She was referred to me by her oncologist. And um, Judy is one of those people that was an advocate, I think, the minute she was born. So her professional life was in earlyhood child education. She was a very, um, she was, again, advocate for children. Then when she got breast cancer she um, and became metastatic, she did so much for the metastatic community. And she does have a, a foundation 
titled Team Judy, which is at the University of Minnesota, making huge strides in metastatic research. Um, but I actually left private practice about a year and a half ago, two years ago. Had a death in my family that was very hard, combined with um, wanting to teach. And I was, I was always full. I could not see people. I could not reach the people I wanted to reach. So I wanted to go and I wanted to teach and I wanted to do um, conversations with Kelly and do more community talks so I could and do re- retreats so I could bring lots of people together and read and share the messages I've learned. So mm-hmm. when I was leaving my practice, I, I knew in my mind that I was going to continue to see the people that were close to death. And mm-hmm. so, but I called each one of them and or sent them a letter, and then we talked about it in session. And I said to Judy, Judy, I'm going to be leaving practice. And she had a really great sense of humor. And she said, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> and <laughs> you can't leave me. And I said, Judy, I am, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to continue to see you. I mean, she really was. She was so funny. Only 57 years old, you know, had dealt with some form of cancer for close to 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just truly, really a... Um, an amazing woman, as you saw, Michelle, you've seen, yes. you've seen her, mm-hmm. right? And so long story short, she asked me well, what, so I saw, I continued to see about six or seven of my patients and Judy truly was one of those people that she got in deeper into my heart um, mm-hmm. in the sense of there was just, I, I just, I was amazed at her. I was amazed at what she would do despite the pain and and her advocacy is something that I just, I, I watched her. I watched her at conferences to speak. I watched her. Um, it was just incredible. And, and so she said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, Judy, one of the things I really want to do is I want to create a film. Oh, I didn't call it a film. I think I called mm-hmm. it a piece. Like that was all I was thinking. I said, I want to, you know, I want to create an educational piece on how to talk to physicians um, and future nurses and PAs and PTs and OTs and social workers and all that about difficult conversations and end-of-life conversations, Judy and I had actually gone to the University of Minnesota and did something for the fellows um, one time. And she said, oh, she said, that was always my dream, Kelly, that you and I would be able to do more of that. Mm-hmm. She said, because I'm, she's so lucky that her physician, Dr. Paul Zander in Minneapolis, is excellent at these conversations, but she also saw many that were not. Mm-hmm. So she said, I want to be in it. And I said, well, you know, that would be wonderful. I knew, though, Michelle, that she was probably four weeks, five weeks away from dying. And mm-hmm. I was nowhere prepared for this. I mean, I was just. Well, when yeah. are, when, but, you know, when are you actually prepared for something like that? Exactly. Exactly. And so I wasn't. And so she says, I want to be in it. And I said, oh, I would love that, Judy. But, you know, I don't, I don't even know who's going to film it. I don't, I mean, mm-hmm. this is this. And, and actually, I'm so glad she, she forced the hand because I don't know if I would have still done it. I mean, it was just kind of one of those things I knew it had to be done. Mm-hmm. So anyways, I said, haha, that'd be great. Blah, 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 blah. Get home. And she called me and she said, I have to be in it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hired the camera crew, da, 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 got it all taken care of. And we sat down and did this documentary. And what I wasn't prepared for is um, the way the world has received it and, and truly the world. I, and I, and I hired a marketing team because I knew that I wasn't 
even though I wanted to do marketing in college, I have zero marketing well, blood. We, we all have different skill sets that what we're good at. And so, <laughs> and so, I mean, you know, I can turn a computer on and that's as far as it goes. So <laughs> I, so I hired this beautiful team out of Belay Creative and she, Stacy said to me that we need to enter it to film festivals. I said, into what? I mean, I was just like, no, I, I this is for, mm-hmm. and she said, you have to get recognition. Mm-hmm. So Michelle, unbeknownst to me, you know, it's not so much for me about the accolades it's gotten. It's that every one of those countries in those judging panels have now heard Judy's message. Mm-hmm. Tokyo, Amsterdam, Italy, um, uh, Spain, lots of the United States, Canada, um, Cannes, France, you know, the, it was in the Cannes, France mm-hmm. festival. And so I'm thinking, and it's a, it's, it's a bummer in a way because we weren't able to go because of COVID to right. these, these film mm-hmm. festivals to see people's faces. Like when they watch her, mm-hmm. nevertheless, you mean to see everyone just crying the entire time, because that's what I, I was like, as soon as I, I know, I, as soon as I, I was sitting here at my office and watching the video and I connected and you know, you, you know where it's going to end. Like we, we know mm-hmm. she passes and yes, the grace that oh. she shows during this whole, the whole documentary. And when she's talking about her upcoming death and not being afraid and just the work you were able to do with her is, it was just, it, it filled my heart, but it also made me so sad because the world lost an amazing human being. I know. And and that does happen every day, unfortunately. I know. But the, this, this piece, it, it has given such it has wings and it has gone to so many different places around the world and the help that it's going to provide the medical community who see it and, and lay people like myself is, is just is amazing. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that because as a two-time cancer survivor, I'm, I'm always worried in the back of my head that what if it comes back? What if I become metastatic and, and that's the way I'm going to go. And if, if that does happen, then I, I know the things that I need to do. I know how I want to go. I know that I'm not going to leave words unsaid. And it's, it was just so fabulous. So thank you for that. Um, but I do want to kind of talk about a couple things that were addressed in, in the video or the, the film. Um, you talk about something called the good patient syndrome. Mm-hmm. And can you talk about that um, yeah. for our listeners? That is so key. And let's all really be aware of that, whether you have cancer or not. Um, because we're all, we're all patients of some kind, right? We all go to a medical facility. Um, the good patient syndrome, Judy explains it beautifully too. It's when we, when we don't, when we're not honest, um, because we want to impress the team or we, for some people it's about, I want to be doing really well because I don't want to have to be taken off this clinical trial or I don't want to stop treatment. Um, and so I want to make it look like things are the providers listening to this. I want to say that do not be fooled by lipstick. And when people are lipstick in there, that doesn't mean they're doing great. Um, I think that's a, that's something that, you know, um, can you hear me? Okay, Michelle? Yeah, we had a little bobble there, but yeah, um, I, I noticed that. Okay. Sorry. I'm not sure. No worries. Happened. I'm going to actually turn off my video. So that might get better. Okay. Um, and so one of the things is that um, 
people say, you know, they come in and it's like, how are you doing? And it's, oh, I'm doing, I'm doing well. I'm doing great. Okay, great. And so the patient does that because they want to be liked. They want to, um, they maybe want to talk about everything else besides their, their situation, um, Mm -hmm. their pain, but they want to be seen because we give people a lot of accolades for doing mm-hmm. well. And so we, and, and I see this beyond cancer patients. I see this in the grief community too. Oh, you're so strong. Oh, you're so this. Oh, you're so that. And we, we accolade people. We give people accolades for those things. Um, we don't ever really compliment people for being real. And that's what I want to see more of. I want to see us complimenting people for, for being real, for being authentic. So Judy talks about it. And I think it's something all of us should be aware of when we go in and they say, how are you doing? Fine, I'm good. And, and everyone in the world should know that fine means the furthest thing from fine. <laughs> exactly. And I'm not going to swear on here, but I'll tell you what the acronym is. My patients tell me what it is. But um, fine <laughs> I, is not I, fine. I swear on here. It's totally okay. <laughs> right. Blah, 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 insecure, neurotic, and emotional. And you can fill in the first letter. So <laughs> it's, um, I know. But, you know, I think it's just important for us to be aware. And sometimes we are doing okay. And sometimes we are doing okay, but the perfect patient syndrome is something we need to make sure that we're not falling into. And that's where, and especially if we feel rushed, if we feel like our provider's in a, in a hurry, then it's like, well, I'm not going to bring this up. I'm not going to bring that up because I know, and then they, the patients start taking care of us too. That's another thing. They like, they get really attached to us. And they're like, I know you got a really busy day and okay, I was going to bring up this thing, but you know, I'm not going to bring it up. And then you end up suffering for the next three weeks between your appointments. But Judy was so great when she said the perfect patient center. She didn't want to tell her doctor about the pain she was in because she was given so many accolades for seven, eight years. Like, I can't believe you've never been in the hospital. This is amazing. You've never been in the hospital. You're You're doing great. Mm -hmm. You're amazing. And, you know, and especially for people that have, they, they're, um, their life is motivated on success and measures and all mm-hmm. these things. They take that to heart with their illnesses too. And so be real. It's okay to wear lipstick, but I always, that's <laughs> my joke is I'll call the physician and say, did you see so-and-so today um, or this week? They're not doing well mentally. They are really struggling mentally. Well, they, they looked good. They had lipstick right, they, and I'll say. Yeah, they didn't say anything. They seemed okay. Exactly. And exactly. And God love the medical professionals because we, you know, I would not be here without them. Um, mm-hmm. But not everyone is trained in things like this. So I know that's one of the things that this, the documentary is meant for to yeah. really give give these professionals the words. And I would imagine that most medical professionals really have a hard time speaking the right words to terminal patients because it's hard. They their their job is to save lives to to help yeah. people and having to tell someone that they're terminal is awful. Yeah. And I, I don't even know another word to say that. And so I'm imagining it's just really hard. Yeah, it is really hard. And, and yet it's our responsibility. And I, and I, and as, as medical profi- for, um, professionals, you know, it's harder if we don't have the conversations along the way. And that's one of the things we're trying to do in the documentary. And like Judy said that she and her physician checked in often um, about life goals and mm-hmm. things that are going on. If we save that conversation for the end, it will be very hard. And right. so we and it need will be, to it be, will be too late at that point. 
Exactly. Exactly. And so it's it's checking in with your patients about life goals. It's checking in with them. And, you know, we do have a lot of options now. And I, I have great respect for my oncology um, professionals working in the hospitals and the clinics. I will also say that there is a tremendous amount of responsibility and pressure on them. Yes. Because there are so, when I first started in oncology, there was really one or two breast cancer treatments. I mean, there wasn't, we didn't understand the genetic makeup of breast cancer. We didn't have HER2 positives, Uh estrogen negative, you know, we didn't, it was, they had breast cancer and it was either metastatic or not. And this is what you give them. And now we know so much, which is the good news. And it also has a lot of pressure on these physicians, like come up with something more. Come on, there's got to be one more thing. Mm -hmm. And that's when we need to be brave and we need to be courageous. And, you know, my thing is my selling point for this with either the patients or the medical team is that you're allowing people time to do things that matter most for them. Mm-hmm. When you are honest with them, when you say to them, you know, I don't think this treatment is going to work for you. I, in fact, I think it's going to make you sicker. Um, and sometimes physicians will have to say, I'm not willing to try it because I don't mm-hmm. ethically think we should do this. Or they'll say, we'll give it one to two treatments. And if it's causing too much discomfort, then we're going to stop. And that's when the perfect patient syndrome comes in because the mm-hmm. patient knows I'm not going to report these side effects um, because I don't want to be done. So it's kind of this, it's a little bit of a a rat race in some ways. But when we have these conversations with people, we allow them to do videos. We allow them to write letters. We allow them to stop working so that they can travel. We allow them (laughs) things. No one ever said on their deathbed, I wish I had worked more. It is. I wish I had spent more time with my family. I wish I had reconnected. I wish I saw the Colosseum in Rome. Yes. Do do the things. I mean, yes, work is important. It sustains, it sustains, you know, all of us, but family and friends and connection. Mm. And that is what is so important. And so when you are dealing with, with new patients or, you know, someone who is really getting close to the end, how do you, do you kind of let them lead the conversations or do you say you evaluate individually, I'm guessing, but, you know, let's talk about your fear or let's mm-hmm. talk about how you're going to die. How do you start those conversations? Well, oftentimes, you know, I have the luxury um, of having a relationship with this patient. So I kind of, we, we already have a relationship. And so we have a trust. Not always though. When I worked in hospice, I mean, I was getting them and, you know, I, no, I, I often will start the conversation because mm-hmm. I don't know that, I mean, I'll, I'll listen for little doors that mm-hmm. I can go through. Um, I don't ever push somebody to it, but I, I'm going to hold that space for them. And again, I'm the person that they can be completely honest with and, and talk to and not, I don't have to say things to them like, come on, that's really hard for me to hear. Don't talk about that. No, 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 right. no, no. Um, people can say whatever they want to say. And I think that that's important. And sometimes they say it and they say, well, that wasn't as scary to say as I thought it was going to be, you know, or the anticipation of it, or they'll, they'll say something. I just wrote about this in my, on my Facebook page yesterday about conversations with Kelly on Facebook. Find it now. You're so (laughs) sweet, Michelle. But I just wrote about this, about 
the teachers, the, the dying who are the teachers. And I wrote 10 things that they've taught me over the years that I think we can utilize. To I read live. that. It was fabulous. Yeah. Well, wasn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. they're just, they're incredible. I, I, so, I literally want to print it out and put it up in my office actually at work because oh. we, we get patients on the full spectrum. So it's super important. So, yes, absolutely. So I, you know, again, these teachers, um, they're teachers, they're teachers. And so the conversations, you know, it's, it's my job to bring it up for them. It's my job to ask them questions um, and, and to get them talking. I also, I've done this long enough that I, I know there's a lot with nonverbals that mm-hmm. I can look for too. And so I can, it's not just about what they're saying to me because sometimes you don't have words. Yeah. You just don't have words for it. Well, we are going to talk more about the documentary when we come back. So listeners out there, if you would like to make a donation to Breast Friends to help ensure that we continue on our mission to it, that women do not go through cancer alone, you can text BF Radio to 41444 or there's a donate button on our website, breastfriends.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for being here. I'm Michelle Beck, and I'm here with Kelly, our end-of-life therapist, and talking about her documentary, Dying is Not Giving Up. So Kelly, in the film, I love some things that Judy talked about that she did to prepare herself and for her family. She she wrote cards to be mailed out after she passed. She recorded um, children's books for her future grandchildren, which just it warmed my heart so much. I wish I wish I had that from my family. And she had little stuffed um, stuffed bears made from her clothes. So I'm sure there's other things that you've seen patients do. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, Judy, um, when, you know, that's one of the things I do with people is, is to help decide how do they want to be present when they are not physically here. And um, Judy took it to the next level, uh, which was really beautiful. The, she made 
and you'll see it in the documentary, she made teddy bears. She had her auntie, Dub Help, um, make the teddy bears for the grandchildren. And then she recorded herself reading um, children's books, uh, video. Mm-hmm. She was actually on video, and they're, oh, they're quite stunning. Um, mm-hmm. We couldn't find the video in time for the documentary, but they found it after, and that's okay. I think it was just meant to be for those grandkids. And so... Mm-hmm. Um, Writing cards, and, and what I want to say to people is that it does not have to be a poem. You know, sometimes what I see is oftentimes people avoid, they want to get to it, they want to get to it, and then they just don't want to do it. And again, doing these things doesn't make, doesn't hasten the death, doesn't make it happen any quicker. And so there's no. sometimes there's a superstition with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the tragedies for me is when people really want to do it. They avoid it. They avoid it. And I worked with a woman one time and as she was dying, I looked over and I saw all the cards she bought for her 12 year old daughter and um, Mm -hmm. none of them were done. So, you know, again, there's a story I write about in my book, A Comforted Heart, and it's it's about this exercise um, and how this patient, I sat with her for about 30 minutes on the bed and we were writing a letter to her husband and she wanted, she said, I wanted it to be perfect. And she kept writing and then she'd erase and write and erase and write and erase. And she finally got it done. And I thought, Oh my goodness, this is going to be a poem. It's going to be so beautiful. And she sealed it up and I was responsible for telling him where it was going to be when she died. Mm-hmm. And she died and I contacted him and told him about it. And he slept with the card under his pillow every night said the words were, Irrelevant. The most amazing oh, words. Sorry. Yeah, just no, but just the words were just mm-hmm. the most amazing words. And I said, can I ask what she wrote? Because it was like a 30 minute. He said she wrote one sentence and it was, mm-hmm. I love you beyond words. Oh. And it was so beautiful, Michelle. And at the same time, I was like, oh, my it. gosh. And <laughs> that was it. And the point was, and he said he could see all these words and she had erased them because she used a pencil. Mm-hmm. And he said, I don't need anything more than that. And so I think we have to be very, you know, we have to be mindful that um, one of the things that's really important is your handwriting and then your intention. And Mm -hmm. your intention is to express your love and appreciation. And I would have given it really, I would love to have had a card from my mom when I got married. I would have loved to have had a card from my mom Mm -hmm. when I had children graduation, all of those things. And so, and I, I wouldn't have really even cared what she wrote, but if I could have seen her handwriting, it would have connected her to me. Well, and that's, that's all actually what I meant by irrelevant because it doesn't matter really exactly. what, what she wrote, but just the fact that she did something. Exactly. Honestly, this makes me want to write cards to my son now and he's 10 and I'm not dying. Um, I know. Well, and you know, you think about it, there's, there's car accidents, there's right. right. There's, there's things we don't prepare for. And so I've had many people in my practice over the years, whether they were terminal or not, um, write something to people Mm -hmm. and you know and it's not it's not morbid at all um in fact i'll say to people wouldn't it be wouldn't it be cool when you can actually give them the wedding card yourself that would be Mm -hmm. a really beautiful thing but in the event you don't then they're there and so you know i know it takes i know it takes strength and i know it takes courage and especially if you are terminal Mm-hmm. Um, because it's one more kind of um, exercise in the realize the reality of it all. 
but it's the intention is to focus on, I want this person to know I love them. I want them to have a piece of me. And sometimes people will go out and they'll purchase little amulets or or tokens or something that goes Mm -hmm. with the card. And, you know, Judy worked really hard on these things. You saw the stack of cards she wrote. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, it's, I have no idea how she did it. Um, and I kind of helped her seal each one. I was like, whoa, Judy. And there, she, there were even ones she couldn't get to because she just simply ran out of energy. Mm-hmm. But I also think we have to remember that you can't write cards to every single person in your life. But you start with the, with the top five. Mm-hmm. And then you go from there. And I think, um, and it, you know, she did things very elaborately. And, you know, like some people have said, boy, she really set the bar high, you know, and it's, and it's like, well, that's Judy. Right. Um, you and everything know, and, she did, obviously. And mm-hmm. everything she did, it was all with class and beauty. And she would, she was the most humble person. If she were sitting right here, she'd say, it doesn't have to be like that, you know, and just, just um, do like, you could even write something on a, on a post-it note, you know, kind of thing. And so, be creative. Make it represent you. If you're somebody that loves nature, maybe you find a rock for each person mm-hmm. and and you and there's a reason for the rock. Maybe it was heart shape. Maybe it was agate. Maybe it was whatever. And you find somebody that's going to be responsible for getting it to that person. And you simply put their name on it with, you know, a post-it note or something. And it, it represents you. It's a way to connect to you when you're not here. And that is the point. Um, mm-hmm. But really, because none of us want to be forgotten. And I think that's that's a premise I hear from all of my patients. They don't want to be forgotten. But they also want people to continue living after they're gone. And this is a way we do both and, right? Not either mm-hmm. or. We don't stop living. But we take parts of us with them. The cards, though, if I could suggest, if I could put a plug in for anything, try and do a letter or a card. Mm-hmm. Your handwriting. Um, and, you know, as we get sicker and weaker, as people get sicker and weaker, it's harder to write. So okay. these are things to do early on. Um, some people do voice recordings. Some people do videos. That's beautiful, too. It's just don't get so caught up in the you know, in how glamorous or big this is. Again, the intention is to connect. I love that. Now, how I know you also work with the caregivers and the family members and loved ones. What do you tell them to help the patients? Because they're obviously struggling with this as well. Yeah. So it's really important to, and and we saw that in the documentary too, how we as medical teams have to tune into patient, um, patient caregivers and, you know, caregivers will often, um, by default, they'll just, they'll be focused on the patient. Um, and we'll ask, how are you doing? Well, you know, I'm, I'm not fine. the one in pain. So, fo- <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. fine. Focus on mm-hmm. them. And I really want to normalize that caregiving is everything. I mean, there are days you're going to be angry. There are days you're not going to feel like this is a, um, a privilege, there you you may get angry with the person and that's just human connection that's human responsibility and so my our human um experience and so my advice if you will to caregivers is is also be real but mm-hmm. find people find your people outside of the caregiving experience that you can be real with 
if it's if it's not your friends or your family, maybe it's a therapist, maybe it's a rabbi, maybe it's a person um, at your church. But find somebody you can be real with because caregiving demands a lot of kind of putting on a face. Mm-hmm. I've been a caregiver. It's very exhausting. It's also very rewarding. But it's more rewarding when I've taken those opportunities to vent, uh, if you will, to be very real with people outside. Um, there's days like I didn't feel like I could do anything right with the person I was caregiving for. And that just gets really exhausting. Another thing to caregivers, I want to make sure that you have the opportunity to be the wife, be the husband, be the daughter, be the nephew, whatever it may be, that you're not only the caregiver. And I think mm-hmm. that that's really key um, is to have those moments where you're sitting and talking about how much you love this person, how much you miss this person, you're going to miss this person. Um, maybe you're talking about your fear. Maybe you're talking about, I mean, you have to remember as a caregiver that you're human first, you're a wife, you're a mm-hmm. husband, and we want to make sure those experiences can happen versus just being the nurse, you know, the housekeeper, the pharmacist, all those right. things. And just so important also just to listen to what the patient wants and figure listen. out, listen and yes. give them. And even though we're not ready to let go because we're never going to be ready to let go. Right. If, if they're really at this point, it's, it's really finding the, as you say, the compassion on how to best support that patient, because we yes. know at this point with the patients that you deal with, they're going to pass. And yeah, it's, it's absolutely, but you know, to the caregivers, make sure you are saying the things that you need to get out there and, and that you're yeah. listening. And like you said, watching the verbal cues and paying attention to what the patient needs, mm-hmm. because they're, they're working on trying to find the strength on to decide how they want to die. And yeah. so as the caregivers and the loved ones, they really need to be listening and, you know, it's also true that we have to allow things to change. So one day people might want to talk about things, the next day they may not. And mm-hmm. and that can be frustrating as a caregiver, but it's really important. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. I think sometimes we have to be very clear that we as caregivers need to make sure um, our issues are being tended to um, before we can be really present with with the person. And so it's the put on your own oxygen mask before you help. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But please let space happen for all of it. Let space happen for anger and joy and confusion and fear. Um, Because patients will take care of their caregivers and caregivers take care of their patients. And like Judy says, nothing's getting done when we're both (laughs) hiding from the issue. Right. Right. So, um, and so I, I'm so grateful that you bring up caregivers because People can't do this without caregivers. I mean, it's just, it's impossible to do it. And, um, and caregivers are priceless. They really are. And right now during COVID, caregiving looks really hard, um, even harder. So everything um, is hard right now. Everything's harder. I, one of my favorite podcasts hard. that I listen to, it's um, Glennon Doyle, We Can Do Hard Things. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. just had an episode about literally, we're all a hot mess. We're supposed to have all of these emotions. Yes. And you have to, to live your authentic life experience. You have to feel everything. Everything. We, we can't yes. always put on a happy face. There's going to be grief and sadness and anger. And, um, That's right. But how has the, the response been from the, the community about the film? It's been amazing. Um, 
beyond. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not surprised in the sense of Judy is so easy to love. I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm surprised that it's um, the community, people living with cancer, family members, all of those people obviously are over the moon about it and feel like it's given them voice. What I've been very happy about is even current medical providers that are seasoned have really learned from it. They're bringing it into their organizations. Um, Though my favorite one was the emergency room physician who saw it and said she will forever practice medicine differently. Mm -hmm. Um, She is not going to go out and tell a family member there's nothing more they can do. Um, She's going to actually offer things like chaplaincy to come sit with them. Can they get them some water? She's going to connect with them. She's going to look at them. She's going to. And so it's, it's had these arms that have grown beyond what we anticipated, but it's been very well received. And I, um, I will tell for people listening, we have another screening coming up on November 15th Good. Um, at 6 p.m. Central Time. Watch the Conversations with Kelly Facebook page for more information, or you can go on Eventbrite, and it's under Dying is Not Giving Up. And so that was my next question. Ask, How can people find this? Because yep. it's everyone should see this. It doesn't matter who you are or what you do. Who you are, yes. You're, you're going to Absolutely. experience this in yes. your life. And so there's... There's um, information on it on my website, but also um, if you watch the Facebook page, Conversations with Kelly, we'll be putting registration information coming up, but it's November 15th Perfect. at um, 6 p.m. Awesome. Oh, Kelly, thank you so much for being here today. I know oh, we could talk for days, you. but we are out of time. I know. I, I do want to also remind listeners, go to Conversations with Kelly Um on the on the web on Facebook find find it it's so important and mm. she also has a book out called A Comforted Heart so you can find that information on there as well so um, listeners out there if you or a loved one need our services please visit breastfriends.org you can make a donation on our website or by texting BF Radio to four one four 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 to help Breast Friends continue on its mission to ensure that women don't go through cancer alone. Our show is available across many platforms, Voice America Health and Wellness, or search Breast Friends wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you would like to nominate yourself to be a guest or share a warrior story, please email me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, we rise by lifting each other. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.